be sharing the word. Uh, his name is Matt Schantz. He is Josh and Carrie's brother-in-law. He is married to Carrie's uh, sister, uh, Kendra. Uh, he is originally from Canada. Uh, him and Kendra moved down from Canada a little less than a year ago to a place in Cleveland, uh, to be with a church in Cleveland called the City Church, where he is currently doing a church planting internship. Um, and just through Josh and Carrie and through him uh, visiting here, you know, several months ago, uh, Matt and I grabbed lunch afterwards and have gotten together and had a couple phone calls between now and then. And uh, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, you know that one of the things that we have felt called to do from the beginning since we started the church was to be a church planting church. And um, church planting is kind of, it's the same thing in, in, in make, as far as making disciples where it's like you have to be intentional about it, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit has to do it. It's nothing that we can manufacture. And so uh, as Matt and I have been talking, we've just, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but we're just uh, prayerfully asking and praying that uh, if it be God's will, that we'd be able to be involved in some way, maybe someday in helping uh, uh, send them out uh, to plant a church if that's what the Lord wants. Again, this is all, all you can do is go forward uh, with intentionality and yet open-handed in whatever the Lord would have for us. Um, and so, uh, Matt, I'm going to ask you to come and bring, bring the word this morning. Excited to, excited to have you here. And uh, why don't we give Matt a hand as he comes. Just make him feel welcome. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm grateful to be with you. Um, Eric did a nice job of introducing uh, myself and my lovely wife and son, uh, who I don't see right now, probably have a bag. Um, so the only thing else that I would just add is that as a Canadian, um, Canadians are unique individuals. And uh, the weird thing about being Canadian is that uh, you don't really catch on that we're Canadian until you hear just a couple words, right? So we say out and things like that. Um, you know, if someone's British, you know right away, but Canadians just kind of throw it out there. So, so I'm not distracting from my sermon this morning. As soon as you hear that out or whatever, that's just me being Canadian. We also love basketball, and uh, we're about to do what uh, Cleveland couldn't do last year. And so uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. I actually, I like the Cavs as well. All right, let's get to the Word of God this morning. This morning, I'd like to uh, preach from, God put on my heart to preach from Genesis 28. So we're going to go there this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Uh, I'm going to jump into the passage partway through, which if uh, you have a background in church or you are a follower of Jesus, then you probably uh, do know this story. Uh, it's a pretty uh, popular story in the Old Testament, but I'll just give a bit of context for uh, the gentleman that we will be meeting today. It's Jacob. He is the grandson of Abraham and a direct descendant of the Abrahamic covenant. Jacob is, uh, when we meet Jacob today, we're going to find that he is in a pretty difficult place. He is doing what Jacob does well, and that is um, deception trickery and things that are not that you would consider something that a follower of God would be doing. So Jacob just finished um, lying to his blind father and with a plan that he hatched with his um, mother. So it kind of shows you the health of that family set up that uh, he, he and his mother came up with a plan to trick Isaac, who is his father, uh, into giving him 
the birthright or the blessing, which was a part of the uh, culture at that time. So he's on the run right now, trying to get away from his brother Esau, uh, because he is quite convinced that Esau is going to kill him. Uh, and this is probably not an overstatement on Jacob's part. This is a huge deal that Jacob has uh, taken the birthright and the blessing and uh, has created this huge fracture in the family unit and is on the run. So that's where we're going to jump in with the story today, and we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 28. So if you'd follow along with me, I'm going to read Genesis uh, 28:10 through to the end of the chapter. Beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be, shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And to you and your offspring and, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. So like I said uh, earlier, the scene is Jacob on the run. When Jacob is laying down to sleep, it says that he uh, took a stone and put it behind his head and laid down. This kind of sets the scene that this is a guy who's on the run, he's on the move, he's not thinking about anything related to God. He's thinking about keeping himself safe, he's thinking about um, probably some of the things that he's just done, and he's thinking about the fact that he really needs to get to a different country. So Jacob is not having one of those it's time to meet God experiences, you know, where he's kind of got out under the stars and he's got a journal in his hand and he's, you know, turned the worship music on real nice and low and he's ready for an encounter with God. Um, I like to journal. I'm not throwing shade at journaling. Um, But he's not having a moment with God. In fact, he doesn't have anything on his mind that has to do with the Lord. And what happens? God shows up. He's sleeping and a vision comes to Jacob and in a moment uh, he is looking into heaven and there's a ladder ascending from heaven to earth. So I don't know if you can visualize this, if you can think about what might be happening here. The, the heavens kind of parting and he sees God himself at the top of this ladder and the ladder is connecting from heaven to earth. The veil that separates the material world, which is where we live, everything that we see, feel, breathe and think 
is being pulled apart, and Jacob is getting a glimpse into heaven, and God himself at the top of this ladder looking down on Jacob, and it says that there's angels ascending and descending up this ladder, showing to Jacob really that, that God is actively engaged in the world and that his messengers are connected as God is looking down into the mess and the brokenness and the chaos that is Jacob's life and that is all the deception that is going on, God is showing up and says, I am the Lord and is revealing himself to Jacob in this moment. We're seeing this, this connection between heaven and earth. Jacob's showing up in a place that, or sorry, God's showing up in a place that's least expected, in a place where, um, like I said earlier, you wouldn't expect an encounter with God to happen. Man, the verse that just popped out at me when I was reading this passage, and a little later on I'll, I'll explain a little more maybe why, um, is when Jacob wakes up from this dream, from this vision, uh, and again, I think it's helpful to think about the fact that this is a, a vision. This is not, I'm sure, uh, if I asked anybody in this room, you know, did you dream last night? Some of you would probably be able to tell me some kind of strange, disconnected, um, subconscious thoughts that kind of ended in a very odd way for you. Uh, what we have happening here, though, is a vision, a, a very real encounter with the God of the universe. But the verse that popped out of me was, when Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, this is verse 16, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not even know it. Basically, Jacob is like, whoa, this was not what I was expecting when I laid down to sleep and put my head on a stone. I wasn't expecting for the, the veil between heaven and earth to open. And for me to get a glimpse of God Almighty, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of his fathers, the covenant God that uh, was in re- he was in relationship with at that point. Sometimes when we think about Old Testament characters, we uh, think about their attributes. So we talk about Joshua the courageous, um, Solomon the wise, and that's good and that's helpful. We can learn things from these uh, people in the Old Testament, the, the, the stories and the way that they lived out their faith. But sometimes when we focus on their attributes and the good things, we forget that these guys were mostly disasters. I mean, the, the families and the chaos. and I mean, there's, there's parts of the Old Testament that are, uh, would, some Hollywood producers would probably pass on because it probably wouldn't make the screen, uh, just in terms of the violence and the grotesqueness of the stories. People who were uh, part of God's chosen people doing horrible and horrendous things. And yet what we see is that God actively steps down into these experiences, into the times with these people like we see in this, and shows himself that surely God is in this place, that God is in the place that Jacob is in, and they don't even know it. They didn't expect to see a God of rescue and a God of um, promise showing up. Maybe the, the veil between heaven and earth, this material world that Jacob experiences, and the the the, the supernatural world where the God of the universe is, is a lot closer than Jacob expected it to be, and it's a lot closer than maybe we expect it to be. So let's, uh, let's transition this, this story a little bit into the, uh, I think approximately 1,500 years later. There is a something else happening, and it's a, it's a little bit similar. We have a, a guy, he's a pagan, he's a Roman, and he's a centurion. And if you're a Roman centurion, that means that, uh, particularly in Israel, you probably hated your job a little bit, because if you were a Roman centurion in Israel, which is the people of God who are living in uh, 
in the Palestine region and are being oppressed. Your job is to basically oppress people all day. Uh, you've been put there by your emperor, and uh, your job is to make sure that these Israelites stay down. The same people, these are the Jacob's ancestors, 1,500 years later. So we've got a centurion, and he's in charge of an execution today. And uh, this is probably like any other day. They're brutally killing people that have oppressed them, traitors, people that have uh, dared to stand up to the Roman crown. So this guy punched in for another day of violence and blood and gore and whatever it is that he as a Roman centurion has to do. And believe me, this is the last place you expect a God to be. The last place that you expect a God to show up would be where people are being murdered and where just one more son, somebody's is being, life is being taken Maybe even for just looking the wrong way at a Roman soldier on the road. It's a place of darkness, bitterness, and despair. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Mark chapter 15, verses 35 through 39. I'm just going to read a couple of them so you don't have to turn there <coughs> if you don't want to. Mark chapter 15, uh, and this is where we see the beautiful, beautiful connective tissue of the Bible. Mark chapter 15, uh, verses 35 through 39, it says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shemakathe, which is being translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. My favorite verse back in Genesis 28, or favorite is probably the bad word, the one that popped out at me. Truly God is in this place and I didn't even know it. Think about what's happening here in this moment in history 1,500 years later. There's a Roman centurion looking up at a guy who's dying, and something's very off today. The sky got black. There was an earthquake. There's nothing normal or natural about this execution. And he's hearing some guy on the middle cross is, is saying all kinds of things that, that guys who are being executed never say. Things like, um, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Or he's having a conversation with one guy on the ground about his mom, you know, take care of her. Usually they're probably cursing at him and, you know, trying to spit on him when he's underneath. And in a very similar way to 1,500 years before, there was a guy looking and seeing the veil of the temple being ripped in, in half. And we're seeing heaven and earth a lot closer than we thought. Because there's a God in the universe, as we see back in Genesis 28, who makes himself known to people and who wants to rescue people and have a relationship with people. You see, in Genesis 28, that's part of the beginning of the covenant that God is working out for his people. And he's beginning his rescue plan through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's, it's part of that as he's, as he's opening the sky and he's showing, he's like, look, I have a plan for you. And it's not a plan that means that everything's going to go fantastic and that your life's going to be amazing, but I have a plan that involves rescue. You're going to have to wait for a while, 
But there's a rescuer that's going to come. And in Mark, that's what happens. That's what we're seeing here in, verse, in, in chapter 15 is this rescue plan that God put in motion before the foundations of the earth is beginning. And that heaven and earth are meeting. The place where the Creator dwells, He has opened up and sent His Son. And the Son is becoming the substitutionary atonement for you and I. Surely God is in this place and we didn't even know it. When we were the most rebellious, when we were deceptive, when we were lying, cheating, God came and stepped into our lives. I want to focus just a little bit on that veil ripping and that, that shredding of the veil. Because I think it, it, symbolically we can, we can trace it back to um, Genesis 28 where heaven and earth, we see the ladder from heaven to earth and the, the messengers coming up and down. The fact that when the veil tore, God was symbolizing that while the Holy of Holies, the, the covenant, the, the place where God had dwelled for thousands of years was being opened. Why? Because Jesus had just paid the price that the accomplished work of Jesus had happened on the cross. And because that had happened, the veil had been torn in half. The covenant was being completed through Jesus. That no longer did just the high priest, was just the high priest able to walk into the Holy of Holies, but you and I can walk into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did. Because surely God is in this place, because surely God has kept his word and Jesus has paid the ultimate price for our sins. It's coming to fulfillment. When we least expected it, when sin and darkness was at its height, Christ came. Man, I could have, the worship team could have just kept going this morning because that's what we were singing about that love is here, love is now. Think about what that means today for us. I'm, uh, I'm from southern Ontario, Kitchener-Waterloo. Some of you might know that area. It's a lot like this one. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's uh, lots of churches and uh, lots of hardworking people, which are good things. Uh, but it's a very practical place, very, you can do it, build a company, work hard, all good things that God has given us. Um, but in practical places where we are busy and uh, just, you know, making sure that we're, we're building up our, our lives and there's so much going on all the time, that we can spend a lot of time in the, in the down here sleeping on a stone, not expecting God to show up. You can, uh, you can live in, in a, you can even go to church and, and be very active in a, in a spiritual community and never really understand what it actually means that Christ rescued you and that the, the space between heaven and earth has been opened and that there is a God who is interested in rescuing a people for himself. I think that when I think about my, my own experience with this, this verse really uh, practically, the, the verse 16 that I talked about in Genesis 28, really came close to my wife and I's heart recently, um, just going through some, some pretty some tough things and, and uh, just kind of feeling like uh, we were in the now, right, just in the chaotic down here and yes praying and asking God 
for direction, but not really having that, that, that feeling that God was leading us and just feeling kind of like it was just one foot in front of the other. And my wife and I are reading this, this passage together, and, and that verse just jumping, just jumping out at us, that surely God is in this place, that surely God is in, for us it was Cleveland, but for you it might be um, wherever it is that God is and you didn't know it. See, if God's willing to send His Son, if Jesus is willing to step into our existence and pay the price, then surely God is willing to step into our existence here and, and, and step into the hurt and the brokenness and the religion and the things that hold us down and the things that, that keep us from knowing that God is truly at work in our lives. There's a... I think there's a, a lot of times, even you can be singing... Uh, worship songs or, or con- tr- at a church service doing the kinds of things that it is to be spiritual or um, a Christian and not f- have that connection with God the Father, not truly believe that Jesus has paid the price for you and not truly have a relationship with Jesus. Because I, I know what uh, it means to, particularly in a community like this, that um, church can be because it's an awkward family dinner if you're not here, right? Like, how do you explain that to mom and dad? Um, so you got to find somewhere to go uh, or, or some place to, to be in church. But, but this idea that this is a reality, that, that God would, would, would move heaven and earth to, to rescue a people, now that, that gets a little bit uncomfortable. Like that, or that's something that maybe we don't have a, a complete understanding of. But, it, but if that is a reality that God has moved heaven and earth to rescue a people for himself. If that is a reality, that God is in this place, that God is in America in 2019, when that's the last thing that we think about, that God would be moving heaven and earth to rescue a people. Man, that changes everything. I had, I had such a great experience in the prayer time this morning. I could just feel the, the spirit before uh, church praying with, with Eric and uh, the other individuals in the room. I don't remember all the names, but God was in that place as they were praying for the Spirit to come and praying for people that come into church today and, and hear the word of the Lord, just praying and, 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 and asking that the, the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus would become real and alive and breathe. Man, that's, that's faith. That's beautiful. That's the gospel. And, and, and that, is, that is what it means when, when Jacob's like, whoa, God is in this place. I had no idea. I was just on the run. I was just... Um, I had just been a loser to my family. Um, I had just done all these things, and yet what does God do? God opens heaven and comes right down and says, I'm in this place, I'm making a covenant, I'm rescuing. I'm going to rescue, and you just hang on for the ride because i got a plan. And it's a ride that's continuing today, right here and right now. Another application of this is the fact that if God is in this place, then the things that we're going through, the, the hurt and the pain, those things matter to God. That God, if he's willing to, to pay the price for us, if God is willing to um, give his son, and if Jesus is willing to go on a cross for us and rescue us, then Jesus is willing to sit with us in our pain, in our hurt. And sometimes when, when people are suffering, particularly those in the body of Christ, we say some interesting things to them. Because um, we're, often just because we don't know how to, to talk to somebody who's really in pain. 
but I think about even verse 16 again of uh, Genesis 28. Surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. Often when we're in the midst of the suffering and the pain, that is not something we can necessarily pray or pray well. Sometimes it takes other believers around us to be able to pray that for us. That God is here. God is in your pain. God is in your suffering. Because Jesus suffered the ultimate price. And Jesus paying that ultimate price means that God is in the place. That God is here and, and, and suffering is something that God does see. I can't, I can't explain the, the, the nuts and bolts of your suffering. Because I'm sure that there's people in this room that could come up here and tell a story that all of us would just be like, I don't, we're not sure how we would completely square that one, because that's brutal. But, but what, what the Bible is holding out to us, what God is holding out to us, that even in that, that even in that suffering, even in that pain, God is in this place. It doesn't always feel like it. We don't always know how to even articulate that to people or articulate that to ourselves, but God is here. It's from Genesis to Revelations. God showing up in the most bizarre places, and he's in the place. He's in the pain. He's in the things that are so complicated and convoluted, and yet when he shows up, that's when heaven and earth meet. That's when the veil gets torn, and that's when we can walk in a transformed life. We prayed this, this, this song a couple times this morning that, that uh, I don't know if it's old or not, but it's been around since I was a kid, which super long, but um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and then what? The next line, the things of earth, whether that's the materialism, whether that's the, the pain and the suffering, whether that's the, uh, the busyness and the chaos that living in a 21st century, always connected, um, just almost insane pace of life brings, the things of earth. The things of the here and now grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Man, I love that. Because God is in this place. A sovereign God is right beside us. And when the lights of this world, they, they get so bright, and we can see that, that, or we can't see anything else except the lights, it's almost like a spotlight or a floodlight just on you. And it feels like God and, and all that we knew and heard about and the things that we once believed feel so far away. God is calling us back, calling us back to what we know and believe that God is in this place and we didn't even know it. And so for you, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that are followers of Jesus that just need to feel, feel and know, feels a, maybe the wrong word, know, down deep, that God is in this place. And I just, I encourage you with that today, that the God that breathes life into the bones in Ezekiel, he can do that today, and he does that today. He does that through his son, Jesus. Jesus does that today, the Holy Spirit living and empowering in us. The same God that will show up and find a man in a desert or wherever Haran was and, and, and change his direction and give him a, a glimpse of himself, the same God that will die on a cross, the same God that will start the church out of martyrs, that same God is active and alive in Holmes County, that God is active and alive in Ohio and in the United States and all over the world. And what that means for us is that we can be empowered and emboldened to share that gospel, and we can be empowered and emboldened to know that God is with us, that God's covenant is not gone, that God's covenant 
today is coming to fruition. We live in the not yet, right? We live between the almost. We live in, so we just celebrated or, or remembered D-Day. Um, D-Day is kind of like, I think that's kind of like when Jesus died, right? It's the deliverance day, but victory over Europe or VE day hasn't happened yet. So the deliverance has happened. Christ came and, and the fulfillment has happened through it is finished, but the complete all things made new hasn't happened yet. And we live in the tension of that. We live between the two. We're still in Europe kind of just trying to get across the continent to the final victory when God comes and make all things new. And that's where we live today, knowing that God's here with us. The deliverance has happened. D-Day's over. We can celebrate that, that Jesus has paid the ultimate price for us. And in the not yet, we can look at Jesus knowing that God is in this place, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God of the first early Christians who were being slaughtered by lions, the same God of the Reformation, the same God, all of that to today. That same God is active and he's doing things, even when it feels like the, the lights of this world are so bright we can't see him. And so I'm praying that for you today. If you don't know Jesus, then I'm praying that you can see him in the, both thousands of years ago in, the, in Genesis, but also um, in what he did on the cross and then today. That you can see it in your brothers and sisters here at Mercy Hill who do love him and are holding him out to you as I know, you, as I know they are. Um, and I pray that you will not stop listening for God's voice because he is, he is searching for you and he wants to rescue you. And he wants to invite you into a relationship with him, which is the most beautiful thing. It's the hardest thing. It's not going to make your life better in the sense of um, money, wealth, and amazingness, if that's a word, but it will make everything worth it with your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. In the uh, church I grew up in, some of you will be familiar with this, they used to often close with the benediction from Jude. And I love that benediction. Those are powerful, powerful words. And uh, I just want to do that today because I think it really just wraps it up. Um, it's kind of the, the whole, uh, it's the gospel in a couple verses. And I love that. So if you'd, if you'd pray that with me, and then I'm just going to pray uh, a bit more uh, for us. Um, so it's, it comes from Jude 24 and 25. As we think about, for you guys here, God's in this place. You might not have known it. You maybe know it, but it's been a while since you've said, oh God, I need you. Maybe it's been a while since you've uh, just looked to the cross for redemption. You've been kind of living in some sin patterns. I pray you just turn that back. Turn back to the cross. And like I said, maybe you've never done it. Maybe you've never truly put your faith in Jesus. I pray for you that you would and that the things of earth could grow dim because there's nothing like living in the light of the cross. There really isn't. It's hard and it's painful, but it's beautiful and it's worth every single second. Jude 24 and 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. God, we are so grateful that you care about us and that you have laid a word out for us and that you gave us your written word so that we could learn about who you are and about what you're doing and about how you're interested in our lives and that you want to make all things new. 
God, thousands of years ago, you were at work doing this in, in the beginning, in the beginning back in Genesis when you're setting up a covenant with the people of Israel. God, we are so grateful that even when it looks like that was a story for a long time ago, and that here and now in the, in the new enlightened age with all our technology and all the beeping and the buttons and the things that just keep us from seeing the, the truth of your word, that even now you're in this place. And we didn't know about it. We sometimes forget about it. Or we just need to be reminded again of your mercy and your glory. God, I pray that you would fill us up. You would change our lives. In places where we are living in sin and we know that we got to turn to you, God, do that in us. I pray in my own life, God, the sin patterns that I know are there, I pray against those in your name because you're here and you want to actively work in our lives, and I pray that you would do that for us. And God, I pray for those in this room who do not know you, who have no relationship with you, who have never known what it means to feel the peace of Jesus and to be strengthened and filled with the hope that comes in knowing God. Oh God, I pray for their, that they could feel it and they could know it intrinsically and then believe it and live it out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys stand with me. Uh, I'm going to take communion here. Here's what I want to, invitation I want to give this morning as we close and as we come to the Lord's table.